Excellent. Yeah, it's Red Super League. Because I actually like, um, yeah, I'll say it in, during the show, but... Yes. <laughs> I'm slaving it. We are fine. We'll say the way, the way, the, 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 our reactions to be genuine. Oh, yeah. Oh, John! Progressive Rugby League. Hello and welcome to Progressive Rugby League once again. How's your week been? Has it been progressive? Has it been rugby league-ish? We're here in a little slight change of venue here this week. Instead of the PRL Studios, um, we've dropped into Big Al's house, just to annoy him really, just to mess his house up and have a bit of a different view of things. So thanks for having us firstly, Al. Big Al. <laughs> uh, you're welcome, fellas. Uh, happy to happy to have you, and um, I don't mind uh, hosting this uh, this outside broadcast. We'll call it. We're getting quite technical here at the PRL. We are, and why not? And Jono, how are you, mate? G'day. I'm excited to get into it today. Big, big show. Big show indeed. And fucking not be distracted by all the posters of Steve Edmed that are all over this room. Round four of the NRL's down. It's probably time for our reflections, and I guess I'll ask firstly. Has anyone got a reflection that's not involving refereeing in any way? Oh, definitely, of course. Always. My, my reflection, it, it has to be, it's pretty obvious, right? But uh, uh, it, it's the New Zealand Warriors. They, I had written them off up until this point. Wins against, what, Canberra and the Titans and South in round one. Didn't, like, they don't really count. But then to come out and play that way against the Roosters, mm. four from four, uh, I like what I'm seeing. Without Sean Johnson. Without Sean Johnson. Away from home. Smashed them. It's quite so amazing. I say good for them, and I take it all back. I'm really sorry, New Zealand. You guys are the real deal. Wow. And uh, I think we're just used to seeing New Zealand kind of have a great side on paper and then just float along doing bugger all. So, um, I don't know. It's interesting. Let's see how, how long it goes. Jono, do you have a non-refereeing reflection? I do. My non-refereeing reflection... Uh, comes along through the Parramatta Eels, who are zero from four. And uh, as a progressive rugby league fan, I am here for them, uh, and I will be there for them in the next couple of weeks. But what I've really realised is the value of wingers. Wingers are underrated and underpaid uh, in modern-day rugby league. In the past, wingers were the butt of so many jokes. You know, they were just hanging around with footballers. But these days, they've got to actually do so much more than most other players. They've got to read well in defence. They've got to score amazing tries in the corner. Uh, they have to defuse bombs. They have to take the first hit up. And the reason why I bring up wingers is we're missing a, a semi-radradra. And I just feel mm. like he is a major ingredient to the reason why Parramatta aren't doing so well. How can a winger make so, so much difference? It's because wingers are almost, almost up there with the spine with the, the six, seven, nine, and one in terms of importance, maybe up there with them as important, but considering how much they have to do. You might, you might say uh, you could consider now a winger to be the always-on utility, so no bench utilities anymore. They're, uh, they're, they're taking hit-ups. They're, right. they're, they're being um, crucial in defence, and then, of course, it's those spectacular tries. And I have raised it before that I believe that we as a game need to do more to highlight the athleticism mm. of those spectacular wingers in there. Ever since... It, 
Lord Andrew Voss successfully <laughs> protested for the corner post rule to be banned from the game, Vision. I think we have just seen an explosion in uh, spectacular tries scored by those wingers. Uh, and and putting the ball down in extremely difficult circumstances seems to be a fine art uh, <laughs> that wingers alone. Uh, possess and commentators uh, just go nuts over these days. It's oh, oh, we'll happily talk for a few minutes about exactly how the winger knew where the line was, knew where his body was, combined those two thoughts, and came up with a result. One of my favourite uh, commentary cliches is a winger that knows where the try line is. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. if you don't know where the try line sure is, at the other end. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know where the try line is. You probably shouldn't be playing the game of rugby league. <laughs> my my specialty playing Oz tag was to. Um, burst through the line and put the ball down like at you know good fifty centimeters before the line. So it is. It's not as easy as it looks. I've uh, I've played a couple of games of Oztag with the slug, and he has an excellent short passing game. I just have to say that's rare in Oztag. It is excellent. Everyone tries the cutout pass. Oh, show ponies, but not you. Not you, slug. No, no, no. That's right. I, I you know, there's there's holes. There's holes to be exploited. Um, that was. My slogan in Oztag and my slogan in high school. So, I do have a. Can I just indulge myself with a, a refereeing reflection? Just, just quickly. I know we've spoken about it quite a lot, but have you ever moved into a a new apartment? I have. Yeah, and you know that first night in the apartment when you're falling asleep, and you you can't really sleep though because every sound you hear, every uh, creak in the wall every noise from next door, the TV going, and you can't sleep because all you can think is, is this going to happen for the rest of my life? Is this, is this what I have to live with? I'm never going to sleep again. That's how I felt after watching the Sharks Storm game on Friday night, mm, seeing it, right. the worst game I've ever seen, close to, 33 uh, penalties, and I thought to myself, is this what my life's going to be like for the rest of my life with rugby league? They're gonna be, it's going to be this uns- unsatisfying? And so I panicked. I panicked. I remember messaging, messaging you guys saying, what's happened? Uh, what, what is happening to me? Um, thankfully, though, there were some great games uh, over the, the rest of the weekend which quelled my, any sort of suicidal thoughts I had. Yeah, so I think that probably highlights uh, an issue that we know the, the wider rugby league public have and that it, it's easily, easily panicked. So if one thing's not work, is, is causing less than desirable results immediately, therefore we should stop because yeah. the game's dying, the game's in crisis, etc., etc. But I'd have to applaud uh, the game and the referees in general for sticking by what they said they were going to do. And yeah, it's going to it's going to take some pain, and it might it's it's not perfect at all. But the the refs holding the line and not letting the coaches it's not the players it's the coaches coaching the players to deliberately break the rules and manipulate the way the game is played. Mm. Holding that line and not letting it happen, I think we're starting to see that bear some fruit right now. Well, the thing is, a Sharks game is hard enough to watch as it is. <laughs> and uh, you add 30-odd penalties, and it, and it was it was tough. So I did panic. I, but I, admit I also to think you're, you're watching two, two teams known for deliberately giving away penalties, yeah. Yeah. deliberately standing offside, Niggle, deliberately do-er. slowing yeah. down the ruck, all that sort of stuff. It was always going to result in a million penalties. And you know what? They, they got punished. Yeah, and if they don't want to, if they don't want to toe the line, we all know they like to stand over it. Oh. If they don't want to toe the line that, that's been dictated down to them in preseason, then that's what you're going to get. Yeah, that was going to be my point, really. The, the the reason that was probably the pinnacle of all the penalty bonanza that you've had is because it's the meeting of the two teams, yeah. really, who try and manipulate the rules the most. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, I, I am really torn about the whole thing because obviously here we are fans of Progressive Rugby League and Progressive Rugby League is entertaining and free-flowing rugby mm. league. However, I'm also a fascist about the rules. <laughs> so I, I, I can't feel bad about the referees blowing that many penalties if there were that many infringements. Sure. Agreed. Well, my, my one worry about that is I'm not a huge fan of this... Uh, strict black and white interpretation of rules like everything has to be black and white because the reality of the world is there's no such thing as black and white look around us there's there's so many variables there's so many different permutations uh, so many variances that I worry about this philosophy my only worry is and I support the referees but the refereeing philosophy that's being foisted upon them is something I have slight concerns about in that um, there, apparently there's some you Utopia at the end of this uh, rainbow that is going to amount to a, the perfect game, which is never going to happen. So I'm just a bit worried about... Because look around the world. People uh, who think in black and white, I'm thinking Trump. I'm thinking <laughs> Duterte. There's some crazy cats who think in black and white. So let's just be careful about what we wish for here. I think perhaps you're comparing um, the murky world of uh, international politics mm. where there are rules and unspoken rules and all that sort of stuff to the football field while it may be just as political in rugby league the, the, the rules on the field are limited are you saying I've gone too far no I'm just saying I think you're so w- during your moments of panic across the weekend where we had an exchange about our differences of opinion in the crackdown mm. of, of, of black and white interpretations of, of the rules mm. you compared it to jaywalking mm. so should you be penalised for jaywalking every single time you do it should you be pe- uh, fined every time you Exceed the speed limit. Yes, all no, that sort of right, stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and I would argue, no, there should be like there should be leniency and all that sort of stuff in those instances. But comparing the legal framework of a society to mm. uh, where there's limitless variables about how that has to work, and it, it it's it, it affects you know millions of people and all that sort of stuff. To the very limited set of rules that are dictating how a game is played is flawed yeah. thinking, in my opinion. You're saying I'm comparing apples. With dragon fruit. Is that roughly what you're yes, saying? Yes. With figs. With figs. Yeah. Apples and figs. Apples and figs. They're very different fruits. They are. Both beautiful fruits, though. Good for jam. Good season figs, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's yeah. Fig season? My parents had the best season ever. I, th- I have a fig tree, actually. Are you sure? We'll have a tree out the back. I don't know what it is. It bears some kind of fruit. Okay. All right. Well, we'll make a jam out of that at the end and uh, let you know the results. Look out for... Uh, you can order that online, by the way, people. <laughs> PRL jam. Link in the bio. <laughs> Open brackets, fruit unknown, close brackets. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was, there was a bit of uh, back and forth in the PRL uh, WhatsApp message. And, and Jono's thoughts were that... Uh, pretty much what I was saying that I was torn about is that... He, he, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he, the free-flowing game's not there. It's not entertaining. And, um, yeah, Al was coming back about rules are there to be followed. Um, I, I think it's torn, but what I will say is that I think the media is making out like the fans are more upset about the number of penalties than they probably actually are. Mm. What do you think about that? I mean, I... I, 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 I I don't know that, or at least on social media that I've seen, I don't know that the majority of people are annoyed at the refs. I'd say the majority of people are annoyed at the teams, wouldn't you say? Well, I mean, you make a good point, because from the figures I've seen, the average penalties so far this year are about 18 compared to 
14 or 13 yeah, last 12, year. Actually. Right. So, I mean, in a normal game, you're probably not going to notice the difference between 13 and 17, 18, unless you're told about it. So you might have a point there. Once you're told, what about all these penalties? And every penalty that's blown is everyone sort of, you know, throws their head back and rolls their eyes. So, um, yeah, there's a good point. But what I want to say about, you know, too many penalties and the entertaining aspect of the game and how it ruins it. Let's think about rugby, rugby union. And how do we have to? <laughs> how we think of um, the cliche about rugby union is oh, so many penalties, oh, how boring, you win by penalty goals. All I want to say is that's actually not how rugby's played anymore. Actually, rugby, rugby has become a much more flowing game over the last few years, but you know what? No one knows about it because everyone's switched off because they think the perception is there's so many penalties and it's such a boring game, but actually, they've tweaked the rules and it's very exciting. So I just think it's dangerous we can turn people off if this goes a lot further that's my that, that's why how that's why i was panicking just want to know yeah. we have on the record that that's jono saying rugby union is exciting is that what you said <laughs> i'm saying it's improved it's, you, i'm pretty lot, sure you said flat years. out it's exciting well i, I, I think I, I think i used air quotations didn't i <laughs> you can't see those on a podcast jono um what i'll what i'll say to allay your fears is that I was going to say rugby league players aren't idiots, but I'll rephrase that and say people in rugby league club administration and coaches aren't necessarily idiots. Yeah. So if they're going to get 20-plus penalties blown against them each week, they're probably going to do something to try and change that. So you'll find that the the you'll ha- we're going to start having games with less penalties blown because teams are going to go, well, I have an advantage by yeah. not sitting uh, two metres offside like I have for the last two seasons or dicking around in the play of the ball or Look. wrestling to someone for 10 minutes straight. Yeah, I mean, look, you're probably right. I admit I panicked. I panicked on Friday night. But um, I, I just have a, a few misgivings there, that's yeah. all. I'd say what you have is it's a classic standoff. If, if the refs blink and suddenly change the way they referee the game, then the coaches will know that they've won and that they can, they can get away with blaming the refs for everything forever. Sure. Uh, someone needs to change their behaviour. The refs need to make it clear that they're not changing theirs because they are the ones... They control the game. They are... I mean, I don't mean to say... They're, they're the stars of the show. They're not the stars, but they, there's no game without them. They yeah. control how things happen. So if they don't fall in line, coaches and teams will get punished. Eventually... We've already seen it happen. Some, some teams have changed the way that they play. There are a lot, of, a lot of games that don't have anywhere near as many penalties as that horrific True. Sharks-Melbourne game on Thursday, um, on Friday, whenever it was. Uh, and that's what it comes down to. It's, it's the refs have just got to hold the line, and from all accounts, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, I really think that Sharks-Melbourne game was probably the apex that we yes. had to hit, and then you know everyone will kind of start working harder. It was the recession we had to have. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And just before we move on from NRL reflections, I just want to pose one quick question to you. Has there, in your opinion, in rugby league in Australia, ever been a larger instance of schadenfreude than Cameron Smith being sinned in for the first time <laughs> in his rugby league career. I mean, the just people everywhere just bloody loved it. I'll, let's be frank. Was that really his first time? Yeah, it was. Wow. Wow. Even he had a smirk on his face as he, as he walked off. He goes, I can't believe this is happening to me. <laughs> I, heard I, that we had the, a deal. I heard that the roar from the crowd at Shark Park when that happened was just deafening. Right. Deafening, sound, deafening jubilation. I think that's what knocked that Chinese space station out of orbit and <laughs> sent it crashing to Earth. 
Progressive Rugby League. Okay, so next segment, boys, is the PRL Mailbag. Well, you know what? We The mailbag was pretty damn empty, looked pretty damn sad all week. I threw a message out there saying, come on, people, send something into the mailbag. It's like we've only got a handful of listeners or something. But right at the very last moment, right when I thought I'd have to come in and tell you that there was no mail this week, Steve has uh, written in again. You know, Steve, Steve, Steve from the first Steve. week? Steve from Canada. No, 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 Steve oh, that uh, Steve that Al suggested wasn't even a real person. No, no, last real, week. no real Steve. I know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real I mean, Steve. I remember him. <laughs> real Steve, who hasn't supplied his last name again, um, has sent in a question right at the last minute, thankfully. And the question is actually to Jono. And the question is, Jono, is there a progressive solution to the Eels being so woeful this season so far? If Jono were to step in as the new progressive coach, what was the would be the first thing he would do? Well, the first thing I would do as pro- progressive coach is to say to the players, "Hey, relax, relax. Winning is secondary. What? Like you look so down. What, what's the matter, guys? Where's why the frowns? Let's smile. Let's enjoy ourselves. Let's offload a bit of progressive rugby. Let's give the ball some air. Let's run a little if you're the halves. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd get their focus off winning." Because their focus has been on winning. It's not working anyway. So is your fear that Brad Arthur is not giving them that winning his secondary message? <laughs> well, I mean, from what I know about Brad Arthur, he likes winning. And, uh, yeah, most, uh, most NRL coaches are pretty, pretty hooked on it. I mean, that's, where, that's where they fall down. That's I mean, it. Craig Bellamy, even though he looks very intense and it looks like he loves winning, it looks like Craig Bellamy loves winning. But you know what? He doesn't. So all those, those dummy spits are just when he sees things that aren't progressive happening. Exactly right. When he walks to the back of the box, yep. he's actually when thinking... The spit hits why, the window. Yeah, he's actually thinking, why don't we do a chip and chase? <laughs> why don't we do a flip pass out the back? So I'd say, look, uh, Steve, real Steve, thanks again for a, a wonderful question. I would say, I'd just go back to the basics, the fundamentals of Progressive Rugby League, that, uh, you know, entertain the fans. The fans have paid good money. They're here to, if you're not going to win, at least entertain them. But you believe it or not, once you start playing entertaining rugby league, it can be winning rugby league. And so you'll win on both points. So um, there you go, Steve. They're my thoughts. Um, so uh, I'd just like to chime in. My two cents. So I'm assuming this is a hypothetical question. And in, in hypothetical questions, the laws of the universe don't really apply. So time travel exists Ooh. in my answer to this. <laughs> Simply, and I'm going to get a bit real. Sure. I would go back in time and not recruit Jared Hayne. And I'm saying that not because Jared Hayne's performances at all have been terrible. Mm. But I think it changed the whole mentality of that team where it was a new team, new attitude, all that stuff from the past five or whatever years. They'd moved on completely from that. And I think bringing Jared Hayne back just reconnected it to that, all that stuff. And you could, you, you could counter that with the Benji resurgence, the, the Benji reintroduction mm. at the Tigers. But Benji left and he came back a, like a reformed player, I suppose, a very different person to the one that left uh, the Tigers in 2013, 14. The Jared Hayne that came back to Parramatta is exactly the same Jared Hayne that left. Yeah. Uh, Marshall probably came back slightly humbled. Exactly. Oh, you can see it's yeah. in his attitude. He's, he, he knows it's not all about him. He's got outstanding leadership qualities. He, the, the way I, I've been to every Tigers game this year, the ones in Sydney anyway, 
And the way that the, the way that you see him play now compared to what he had done in a previous life, mm. it's just amazing. He's the the, the, res, the transformation, and resurrection of Benji Marshall. Uh, Jared Hayne has not yet gone through that 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 personal journey, we'll call it. And I think bringing him back into the team just set that all that culture rebuild back. And not because I think Jared Hayne's a negative influence. I'm not saying that at all. I just think it was a connection to too too um, close a connection to that culture that they tried to leave behind. Well, well, that plus, I think it's also consciously or subconsciously a message to two players in particular who are probably close to taking that step into real kind of superstardom in mm. Gutherson and Bevan French. Mm. So what's it saying to them that you need to go back to Jared Hayne, who you know is not performing at the Titans really? Mm. So what, what kind of message do you send them to, to have bring Hayne back? Well, I mean, I can't disagree with you both. I was never a big fan of that purchase and I, I tell you I, a couple of weeks ago I was talking to my Parramatta fan mates and I said to them I'm two weeks away from blame blaming Jared Hayne for everything and I know and that was two weeks ago and I know he wasn't playing on the weekend but I blame Jared Hayne for everything it's entirely his fault it's two weeks it's, yeah it's en- enough is enough so I, I can't disagree with you yeah therefore I agree with you all right thank you Steve for your thanks email. for it, Steve and um I, I can actually see his surname down at the bottom of this email here. It's um, Realman. Steve Still Realman. Real. Thank you very much for your email. I'm not sure if you wanted to give us away your surname there, but I did. Sorry, mate. Say hello to the Realmans. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, Steve Realman of the Realmans. Realman family. Um, all right. Time for the PRL Chunky Topic. Ooh. Chunky Topic of the Week. Chunky, chunky like soup. Yeah, I think uh, we've teased it a bit, but uh, we're going to look a little bit at the Super League War. So it was just over 20 years ago, Rugby League in Australia suffered through a civil war. The Rupert Murdoch Line News Corporation started a spin-off competition in tandem with the Kerry Packer-backed ARL competition. News created a 10-team comp comprising of former ARL teams disgruntled with the management of the game, as well as several clubs specifically created for the new competition. So in that 1997 year, we had two comps running at once. 22 teams. 22 teams overall. Um, And, you know, things like Newcastle had uh, the Newcastle Knights, plus the Hunter Mariners created out of Mm. thin air, both competing for Newcastle fans' attention and money. You had the Rams. Yeah, you had the Rams created out of scratch. You had the Perth Reds nicked from their uh, first couple of seasons of, of ARL. It was so, a tumultuous time for the game, wasn't it? it? It was, absolutely. So I guess what I'm asking you is, did the Super League war have to happen at that time? And if it didn't, what, what would Rugby League look like today? Wow. These are big that questions. Is a, that's a deep question. Well, I go further than that. The question I've had in my head over the last few days is, was the Super League actually a progressive concept? Now, I've had to really reassess and reconstruct uh, my thoughts on the whole Super League war uh, because over the last 23 years, all thoughts about that period are very emotional thoughts. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, it was a very stressful time for me, this whole Super League uh, era, this period, because... Here was a, a threat to the game I loved in winter, and it was a threat to stability. I was a very nervous kid. I needed stability. <laughs> and so um, very emotional memories for me. I, I was 
nervous. I was shocked. I didn't want it to happen. I didn't want change. I wanted to, things to stay as they were. Everything seemed fine to me. So anyway, then time moved on and, and there was a peace deal. And I was just happy that um, rugby league could rebuild. I was relieved that things were roughly the same uh, and hopefully would, would become better. And then also parallel to that, as I grew up, I got an education about, I'm going to say it, the evils of Rupert Murdoch and News Corporation. So they're in parallel. So therefore, I had um, that sort of confirmed what was my initial reaction as a kid, right? That Super League War was evil. Super League was evil and the whole war was a terrible exercise. But I've never actually interrogated the Super League war objectively mm. in your mind in my mind because it's all it's all wrapped up in emotion mm-hmm. so can you look back at the Super League war and wonder was it a progressive concept can you say it's been actually good for the game in hindsight like on balance like after all the games have been through was that period a game that the game profited from eventually these are questions that I've been grappling with. I don't know what you think, Bigger. Well, I've already said, I think in episode one, I, I, I think the, the concept of Super League was progressive. It was, one, it was all about growing the national and international appeal of the game. It, it fully recognised that it is an outstanding product. And if you, want to flog, if you want to flog pay TV subscriptions, you've got to give the fans access to that sort of stuff. Uh, it was about yeah, growing the footprint. It was about celebrating the game. It was just executed terribly. So I think the dream, the dream of Super League was actually to have uh, all the, the existing ARL, the, the teams that existed in the ARL at that time play in a like, almost like reserve grade style competition. So you'd keep your Wests, you'd keep your Balmains, you'd keep your, your Souths and, and Parramatta's and they would play in a, a, a tier below what would be, uh, I, I guess, like... New, uh, four Sydney teams, a couple of Brisbane teams, a Perth and Adelaide team playing in a super competition. So what they were going for was state of origin every game in terms of intensity. With 20 years hindsight, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds like a great idea. But the foolishness, the folly of the Super League was one, uh, I mean, in reality, a corporation can't own a sport. It just won't work. That's what New Zealand were going for. And I think they were probably blinded by by their own power at the time. Uh, back in the day before the internet, when it was all about TV and print mm-hmm. um, and print yeah. news, so they were they controlled a lot of eyeballs. Um, but then there was also just the I think the foolishness in thinking that they could just easily do it when the the territorialism and the um, you know the power games that exist within mm-hmm. rugby league are so fierce yeah. that it was never going to be a simple solution of walking in there and saying, "Hey guys, this is what we're this is what we're going to do. Our competition is going to sit on top of yours and." Yeah. That, like, just, it was never going to work that way. So um, I think with five years of strategic planning on how they were actually going to go about this, they might have had some kind of acceptable result at the end, maybe. Well, here's an here's interesting thing I've read over the, the last couple of days. So apparently News Limited didn't want to own the game initially. Their preference was to just get a huge stake through the ARL, but the ARL wouldn't let them so then they went for the quote-unquote nuclear option trying to own the game uh but anyway getting back to pillars of progressive rugby league we're all for globalism rugby league globalism which super league did uh suggest that they would 
pursue. They were going to be stars in China. In China. Every Chinese kid is going to want to know, is going to know who Laurie Daly was, Ricky Stewart was. Yeah, well, I mean, it was Bradley probably... Clyde, he was going yeah. to be... It was going to be a statue I mean, it sounded, ex- it sounded exciting, but in hindsight, I'd say it was just marketing BS. But um, then the other side of it, though, is expansion is progressive, but you, it's not progressive to expand at the expense of heritage. Progressive rugby league fans, progressive people, they value heritage, they value culture. And even looking back now, the problem is... You know that there was uh, there were reports and inquiries into the state of rugby league before Super League happened, and the ARL at the time, or the New South Wales Rugby League, had commissioned reports that recommended that um, Sydney teams be rationalised to four teams. So is that the the Bradley report? The Bradley report, the Bradley I believe. Report, yes. So I mean, it wasn't actually just Super League that were, was trying to basically cut off uh, heritage and tribalism and culture. So I look back at that. And, and say the Super League war in expanding at the expense or trying to expand at the expense of heritage and culture is not progressive. That's not progressive. But maybe in some perverse way, because people right arced up against it, it actually saved our heritage and our culture because it became a matter of this um, globalised expansion versus culture and tribalism and, and traditional teams that somehow, if the Super League war didn't happen, maybe we, we would have lost a lot of these sitting teams and we would have lost a lot of the culture and uh, heritage of rugby league because the ARL and New South Wales Rugby League were thinking of doing it anyway. So maybe some, in some roundabout way, it happened to help us uh, preserve what's so valuable to uh, rugby league and progressive rugby league. Thoughts? Well, uh, my thoughts are really that it's taken me this week reading up about it to actually see it in the appropriate light I think because I I've been affected by 20 years of propaganda I feel the ARL propaganda against Super League Super League evil Mm -hmm. Super League trying to tear the game apart Mm -hmm. Super League you know robbing robbing or diluting the um the talent in rugby league and um it's actually taken me reading it this week to go. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> it's actually, and it seems to me that both sides wanted the same thing, and just couldn't agree on how to slice it up together. Well, when you had two billionaires fighting for a thing, they're not going to sit down and and agree yeah. not like peacefully. It was Packer versus Murdoch, yes. PBL yeah. versus News. Yeah. Like they were going to burn it down before they gave anything up, and that's pretty much what it came to. Yeah, and and look, I, I absolutely agree with the idea that that you could have a premier competition which features less teams. The current Sydney teams could feature in their own Sydney or New South Wales-based competition, and then be feeder clubs to, to I guess, hyper-Sydney clubs. Mm. A north, south, east, west mm. kind of... You could have four, five, six, maybe, if you merge them geographically, it would probably make sense. And, and you could have a shortened Premier competition and a shortened New South Wales competition. And that would make sense logically, and it would make sense just in terms of being, I think, financially viable, because you could pinch 
not not to try and sound too corporate, but could pinch people twice. Say if you're a if you're a Balmain fan, you could they could get buy all the Balmain merchandise because the Sydney New South Wales competition runs earlier in the year, and then because Balmain's a feeder club to let's say a Western Sydney conglomerate. You pinch them again to buy all the new merchandise from the hyper club that they also probably follow because Balmain's associated with that. Um, so there's a there's there's definitely uh, there's definitely a great idea, but again, like communism, just fails in the practical. <laughs> well, the the thing is, I mean, yeah, it all sounds good in practice, but I think what we learned in in hindsight, looking at how it panned out, is it's just not that easy to just get rid of a whole bunch of clubs and it causes a lot of pain and it causes and and look what happened at North Sydney I've said this before we got rid of rugby league on the North Shore and it's gone forever it doesn't come back so it, it does, it's, it's not coming back I'm telling you it is not coming back how long did the Northern Eagles last exactly right oh dear and so it's all rugby and AFL up there and it's not rugby it's all AFL and that's it rugby might as well not exist in Sydney at all it, it's not no, no, let's, I mean, let's admit it well I mean it's a great I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's a good thing at all but yeah well uh, rugby's not a, anyway this is, this is the PRL podcast this is the PRL podcast but what, what I'm trying to say is it wouldn't have worked and it wouldn't have been good for rugby league yes a 12 team competition where it's a state of origin every week it sounds great but really, you would have driven fans away in the truckload. 12 teams. And, and how are you going to get huge TV rights if you only got six games a week? I mean, looking back on it now, the TV companies, they want more content. Uh, content. So that's actually like, looks to me as a, a bit of an ignorant view back then that a 12-team competition was the panacea. You needed less teams. In fact, you need, you need at least 16 to 18 teams. You need enough content to make money in, in, in different markets. Um, You're thinking about it in today's TV audience terms, where you have a, 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 an ass, a declining asset, we'll call it, in, in terms of broadcast audience. People are watching less and less. So that to, if you can get something that happens 25 times a year that gets a million people to watch TV, then that's great and that's highly valuable. Back in 1996, when this was all going down on paper, mm. TV audiences were huge for everything. Yeah, So that, that, that desire, that need to have a constant, always-on... Um, event that would draw people in was was not as um, necessary as it is now. In 1996, yep. TV was, was be all and end all. Yep. A rerun of like Mash would be getting a million viewers. It's true. But, that was good talk. <laughs> well, I mean, oh look, the the broad question I want to pose to you both is: 23 years later, almost to the day, Super League. You know, going through those years is a very emotional time for us all. But looking at it objectively, is it or was it a progressive concept? To that, I say no, it wasn't because it didn't take into into sufficient consideration the heritage and culture of rugby league. So therefore, I'm marking across against Super League as a progressive concept, even though it had some progressive traits like globalism and trying to expand the game. But I really think those traits are just marketing BS from a company trying to make a lot of money out of rugby league. So, what what are your thoughts? Look, may I, may I? Sorry, Al, jump in first. I have two points about that. Sure. Number one, without Super League, rugby league in England probably would have declined and died. Wow, that's big. What do you think? That's uh, a good point. Agree. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And then if that had happened, you got no to lose. You got no Catalans. 
You got no Toronto Wolfpack. You got to have my Toronto so, Wolfpack. So, so yeah, you know, there you go. Canadian Rugby League dead, French Rugby League dead, or any other anything associated with the English Rugby League dead. Um, I, I think Super League saved Rugby League in England. So that's, that's a very good point. So can I just quickly respond to that? That wasn't part of the war, though. I mean, the war was in Australia. The, yeah. the, the war wasn't in England. But, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It was dying. There was, no, and it, there was no war in England because there was nobody to oppose it. Every single country signed up for the Super League except for Australia. Australia was just where the war happened. Sure. Everywhere else just sort of, okay, cool. Yeah. Buy the game. Or, like, whatever. You're throwing money at us. You want to you okay. expand the game. Look, they're fair they're points. on board. They're four points. Slope, what's your second point? My second point is that I, I don't know that, like you were saying before, mm. we can't point the finger at Super League uh, exclusively for trying to kill the heritage of the game because Super League was around for one season before it became the NRL. Yeah. This very day now, you go to Birchgrove Oval, the birthplace of Rugby League mm. in Australia. Do you know there's no Rugby League posts there anymore? There are AFL posts in that ground. So uh, that's a quite a dramatic point to try and make, but I, I think that... Uh, Super League can't be blamed for killing the heritage. It was either going to happen anyway as uh, the natural course of corporate gobbling up of, of something sure. beautiful. But so, so I understand your point. I just don't know that, uh, that Super League can be blamed. I, I just think it's corporations full stop. No, I'm not, I'm not blaming Super League. And I'll reiterate my initial point that in some perverse way, Super League might have accidentally... The Super League war might have accidentally preserved some of the culture and heritage of Rugby League because, as we said, the ARL were actually thinking of rationalising Sydney teams and so was Super League, but somehow this whole war blew up and we still have a lot of Sydney teams, which I think is vital for the fabric of the game, not only in New South Wales, but these are brands that are huge in the world of Rugby League. The England, they love, they love clubs like Manly, South Sydney, all these clubs that would have died, the Tigers... Uh, Parramatta, they they, lo- they still love those brands. Just like you couldn't just get rid of. I mean, they tried. Remember, we had uh, we had to rationalise teams from the nineteen ninety eight competition, which were twenty clubs, had, and we got down to fourteen teams for two thousand, I think it was. And do you think that two thousand or the two thousand one competitions were any better than what we've had recently, or before, or after? Because there were fourteen teams. And, I mean, it wasn't. I, I think I think you're adding uh, heat to the argument by using the term rationalisation, which says I'm which says that again, like, someone's I? coming along and taking the team away. If you had simply well, let they, they the did team, in South Sydney's no, case, you, in North Sydney's case, South Sydney, if you had simply let the teams that were going to go bankrupt go bankrupt, like South Sydney, like Balmain, like it happened to Newtown in 1987 or whatever, 1983, 1983, then so be it. Like, and, and that's exactly the situation we have now, where the, the NRLs come out and said. We're not buying broke teams anymore. If you go broke, you're on your own. Well, I mean... Except if you're the Titans. Yeah, but no, if you after, that... after they bought the Titans, after they offloaded Newcastle... And the Titans. But, I mean, if you, if you had that attitude, there would be no sport. You, like, there would never be any clubs that are... Every club goes through tough times and has been through tough times and has had to be rescued in one, one way or another, either by poker machines or by the governing body. So, I mean... That is a very extreme view to have, to say, even though you've contributed 100 years or 70 years of great heritage to the game and, and culture, that because you've had a rough couple of years financially, financially, you're out. I just can't go along There's with a that. difference between having a rough couple of years and just being flat out broke, you can't do it anymore. Like, 
South at that time, they'd been like 20 years of failure. And Balmain as well. They, they'd been... Oh, it was 10 years of failure for Balmain anyway. They'd been poor on the field, poor off the field, generating no money. And so just, just kick them out when they're down. That is not a progressive... That is not a progressive... Personally, I'd say, I'd say maybe it is progressive because waste no, dedicating dedicating is... resources to... Uh, I'm going to say declining assets. Oh, this is so... This is corporate rugby league. Is this, this is not progressive rugby league. What podcast am I on? <laughs> have, I, have I come up in, in sort of... Uh, it's, it's progressive in some... It's all about... I, I think you're... I mean, this is a classic problem that rugby league has and that, like, holding on to the past so fiercely and so tightly holds it back in the long run in terms of big picture. This, like, a sport in this day and age, a sport can't exist unless it's, it's national, unless it's global. I don't... Progressive values include looking after the, the downtrodden and the poor, <laughs> you know, and, and valuing culture and history. And it, you're just happy just to, because they're having a... Oh, how's the balance sheet, you ask? How's the profit and loss? How's the profit and loss? Where am I? Jono, so, so let, me, let me just ask you this, though. If you, if you consider someone a progressive, sure. what, what are they more interested in? Natural evolution, or <laughs> holding on to tradition, or the old ways. Well, I mean, I don't think you have to have a a choice between them. I mean, you evolution is a progressive concept, <laughs> <laughs> but also valuing culture and heritage is also a progressive con- concept. So there is a balance, I admit, but you cannot make decisions in progressive rugby league land. Just based on profit and loss and balance sheets. I'm sorry. No, that's true. That's true. No, I'll, I'll, that's true. You can't. There, something does need to be say about ooh, IP and the value of that. But oh, no, no. That was, sorry, I'm just having a. Uh, I'm firing you up. I'm firing me. you up with that one. But the, there is a place for um, yeah, culture and uh, you know, classic iconography that that you know connects fans to the game and all that sort of stuff. That mm. does need to be preserved in some elements, but not at the expense of everything else. And I think that's that's. I think you're being blinded by your love of the of the of the true, your love of the wholesome. Sure. And sometimes you, you've got to make compromises. I we agree. I think we agree. There's a balance. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the sport has to make money to succeed and progress and expand into the into the wide world. How are they going to get to China if but, they're focused <laughs> on these niche suburbs of Sydney? But it can't do you think that. Anyone in China cares about Redfern? But it can't do that without solid brands to use your corporate lingo. Okay. Solid brands like <laughs> well, let's talk the about, rabbits, the eels, let's talk the about, tigers. That's a good point. So we'll talk about solid brands. So we've got two professional leagues, uh, two truly professional leagues in the world. One, right. in, one in Australia and one in England. Yep. Uh, England, there could be a lot of, I feel, a lot of growth in England, uh, in Europe, say, in France um, and, and in England through uh, having teams like the London Broncos in the Super League, mm-hmm. uh, resurrecting Paris Saint-Germain. Oh, but do you, do you really think that these giant global cities, you've got London and you've got Paris playing Parramatta, makes any sense whatsoever? Do you think the people, the fans of those big global cities... <laughs> will will appreciate that 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 enormous cultural sure. melting pot of a, a global city like London is playing rando Western Sydney suburb Parramatta. Hang on, oh, hang on. Just tell me what colours Paris is wearing so I can imagine this clearly. Paris v Parramatta. Can you imagine it? But I mean, this is where you've got it so wrong. With all due respect, Big Al. I mean, that is not how the world lo- works. I mean, look at the English Premier League. There's no London club. 
there are London rando clubs like Chelsea, Fulham, West Ham. I mean, it's it's that it, they have a heritage. They've grown, and over years and generations of families who who support a team and their kids support the team, and all, all of a sudden it's, it's blown up. And I don't know where West Ham is. Is that even a place? I know it's in London somewhere. Arsenal. I mean, they're, they're sort of the, the equivalent rando suburbs or places in London to the Parramatta's and the Canterbury's. So I don't accept that you just put a team in London and it's going to explode. It, it, it hasn't worked in the past. Richard Branson tried it. It didn't work. Paris didn't work. What you need is some, to build something up organically, another progressive concept, <laughs> and, and give it time. And nurture it, love it, love, love. I know. Oh, oh, please, I'm, love. All I, all I do is love the game. <laughs> I love it so much. I love it so hard. <laughs> but seriously, um, comparing the English, like English Premier League, and their like random enclaves of London, wherever's being popular teams, to mm. Sydney, like I mean, London, how many, how many millions of people? The, the essentially the capital of Europe. Of course, it's got this. It's got heaps of fans going for... All the fans that follow those teams don't know where those clubs come from either, but they're just popular teams because it's it's just a it's a huge city in the world. And it, it shouldn't be different for rugby league. I mean, Sydney is the biggest city in, in Australia, and it's becoming a globally a big city. In, in 20 or 30 years, there'll be 10 million people in Sydney. So that's, that is a globally big city. Maybe we're looking at it from the wrong direction. It's not that Sydney's not big enough for the game. It's that the game can turn Sydney into the biggest city in the world, right? <laughs> it's happening before our eyes. We don't even know it. All right. I, I mean, we're, we're uh, getting on into the evening. This is going to be a bumper long episode. Um, but, but before we move on, there's, there's two things I wanted to say. Okay. So uh, once I, I didn't actually get to definitively say, definitively say if I think the Super League was, positive, was progressive. Mm. I'm on the record saying I think the concept of it is progressive. Execution, terrible. Sure. Uh, to, uh, to the follow-up to your initial second question, Jono, mm. are we in? Are we better off because of it? Mm. And maybe I shouldn't start this because it's going to make the podcast go for another hour. That's all right. I would say. I got time. I would there say are no podcast laws. We'll make it as long as we damn well want. I would say no. I don't think we are better off without it because of as the point the slug raised before. It essentially it opened up AFL to Sydney. It, mm. the 96 and there's no coincidence that 96 was the rise of the swans mm. and also that's when rugby league essentially exploded and killed and stabbed itself in the face it uh, it, 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 it let it up multiple and it, times multiple, multiple times. stab wounds it right in the face cut off its nose to spite uh, and then uh, you've also you have a range um, it also rugby league lost its confidence in itself mm. so after the uh, the partnership that, be, that was between the ARL and News Limited that became the NRL, the Channel 9 kicked up the rights for nine years for $14 million or something yeah. ridiculous like that because the game was on its knees. It, it had was. nothing. And everybody lost faith. Everybody lost all the confidence they had in what the game could do, mm. how the game could value itself. I know you don't like to talk about this, but value its assets. Well, um, I'm right. I mean... it, it, it lost all that. And so it undersold itself for, for 10 years, I think. And, and plus, as part of the peace agreement... News Limited got first, uh, like first and last rights to um, any, any all the uh, mm. broadcast deals, which again made that the game was fighting with one hand behind its back for all that time. Whilst the AFL had already got its foot in the door to Sydney because rugby league like died for a year uh, and was and made such gains on all of its media assets because of that. And now what we've got is rugby league is on this fighting and battle against this behemoth that allowed the AFL to become. Yep, so but on the upside, the 
jerseys looked really great. <laughs> well, I would say the jerseys, they all look like they were playing for the same company. Well, this is super the same planet. <laughs> <laughs> that was shit jerseys. They were, I mean, that, uh, sorry, oh, we don't oh, swear oh, on this oh, podcast. Oh, the S was pretty cool, bro. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> look, can I say, Big Al, I think you're right uh, in, on many of those points. Um, rugby league in the mid-90s was on the verge of, of hugeness, and it was, it was going great guns. And rugby league lost a good ten or fifteen years because of that, and they've only just recovered the last few years and are in a, a fairly strong position uh, financially and in the the market. So I, I tend to agree that we could have definitely done without it. I, I just think I, I don't think in hindsight that at the end of the day that ARL would have gone through with the rationalisation thing and cutting Sydney clubs because it, it turned out to be really hard and too hard. So I'm with you that we didn't need it. Um, just checking, is the Serbian Rugby League, uh, with our friends at Red, Red Star, Star Belgrade, are they aligned with Super League and News Corp at all, or, or has that happened organically over there? No, that's happened organically. Wow, okay. That's it. It's right. very progressive. Yeah, and that's what we like. Excellent. Well, I'm happy to hear that. All right, well... I think we're probably going to have to come back to Super League again at some point. I'd, Just... love, I'd love the thoughts on any li- of any listeners uh, that we have. I know we have uh, multiple. And so please hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or the email. That's right. Please do. Um, and Steve Realman, you can if you want to, but you don't have to. Someone else can have a go. Um, it's probably time for some updates, right? Oh. Am I right? French Canadian. French Canadian. So you got the I, I will. Uh, I'll keep this very short. I do. I do know. I like to go on with my my French Canadian rugby league updates, this was and a then big my weekend. and then my international updates. But of course, the two the two darlings of Progressive Rugby League, Toulouse Olympique, and I can't do a Canadian accent. Toronto Wolfpack. Toronto. Uh, Toronto. Eh. <laughs> anyway, so it's Toulouse versus Toronto in um in France in Toulouse, obviously. An epic game, 22-24, to 24, won by the Toronto Wolfpack. Oh. But let me tell you this, halftime score was 20-6 to 6 to Toronto. So Toulouse have staged an epic fight back to get oh, there. Right. Uh, and Toronto have just held on. Toronto, second half D. What's yeah, happening? so, um, and we also know, uh, Toronto's actually pretty, very active in the play market still, so we would have heard over the weekend that Darcy Lussick, He's a, right? Yeah, didn't you know he's the newest recruit for the Toronto Wolfpack? They are just stockpiling. I love hearing these names that, <laughs> that, that just, just from yesterday. No, but like Darcy Lassie, that's amazing, right? He's a current first grade footballer. Yeah, yeah, true. He's, he's no, you know, he's no Rennie Matua who's been in the wilderness for a couple of years. He's no Chase Stanley who's been playing for whole KR or whatever. Darcy yeah. Lassie's a legit, he's a genuine footballer. That game turned out to be a top of our table clash because London have lost now two games Ooh. and the top two places in the championship are now taken up by Toulouse and Toronto. So this is, this is enormous oh. for Rugby League. And add to that, Big Al, I'm sure you're about to have this in your uh, French-Canadian Rugby League update, Catalans won a match. Oh, twenty-seven. Les Dragons finally get one up. So I mean, it was a wonderful weekend. Greg Bird was always going to come. It was a wonderful weekend for French Canadian Rugby League. There was a top of the table clash in the championship. It went down to the wire. The crowd loved it, and also the Catalans are now equal last, not just last, on their lonesome. So, you know, good signs. A good weekend. You got to take it when it comes. Yep. Beautiful. All right. Well. We'll finish with what we love to finish with. We'll finish with positivity here on the PRL podcast. And so it's our progressive moment of the week. Fellas, who's first? 
Uh, I'll say I, I, I don't, I'd like to go first. So my progressive moment of the week, it wasn't anything that happened on the field. It was merely an observance of mine throughout my uh, the, the, the Easter period. Mm. Yeah. So I took my 12 family members in the three caravans that we own up to the central coast of New South Wales to spend a couple of days there on the beach. Fantastic. And what was so refreshing was all that talk that we have about historic rugby league grounds now having AFL posts. Not an AFL post in sign. Uh. The central coast is a haven of rectangular fields. Sticks at, sticks at both ends with a beautiful, beautiful crossbar. H-shaped. H-shaped sticks. And it was just music to my ears. H-shaped I, sticks. I yes. loved it. I got out. I ran around as many, as many fields as I could find. It was fantastic. It makes you wonder why it's been shunned. For so many years, mm. even though it's it's one of the biggest and most passionate rugby league nurseries in the country, Ugh, also, don't get me started. Perhaps we can introduce a media topic uh, in another episode about John Singleton, uh, yeah. quite the visionary of the Central Coast region. Some Singer. would say, Mel Singer, and his partnership with uh, Greg Florimo. Go with the flow. You know why? Why didn't it work? Didn't why didn't work? we get a Central Coast Bears? There's three episodes there. <laughs> My progressive uh, moment of the week comes in the form of a player, a human, uh, a human being. His name is, believe it or not, Andrew Fafita. Oh, I think, mm. I think oh yes. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's okay. Kick on. Well, I mean, this week he came out on a rival podcast, which I've never heard of and should have been listened to ever, <laughs> um, saying that he was going to forego the riches of playing rugby league, state of origin, to pledge his loyalty to Tonga and to try and make Tonga great. Again. Oh, well, to make them get, well, then, to make yeah, them great. Yeah. Okay. That was also my progressive rugby league moment of the week, just well, to confirm what we were talking about the week before. So if I were to scrabble around for a, uh, a replacement pro- progressive rugby league moment of the week, I'm just going to say Cameron Smith being sinbinned again. Oh, that was fantastic, and I've still got a warm glow. <laughs> um, thanks very much, everybody. Uh, this has been our longest app yet, and... It's just been packed with debate, rigorous debate. It's been rigorous, it's been vigorous. Yeah, yeah. Progressive opinions, but most of all, love for this funny old game called Rugby League. <laughs> She's a funny game. She's a funny game indeed. But we oh. love her, don't we? Oh, oh we love her. <laughs> and uh, just one final thought. Can you please tell your friends about this podcast? Like, if you if you listen to this and you enjoy it, write a, a review on iTunes, on Stitcher, on whatever medium you happen to listen to this through. And if you don't want to out yourself as as a progressive person or a rugby league fan, then just tell someone word of mouth. You know. This progressive rugby league message should be getting out to people, and our our friendship circles just aren't big enough here. Um, I, I record this podcast with my entire friendship circle, so I've already told these guys about it. Yeah, I mean, progressive, the term progressive rugby league is a divisive term. And so, I mean, we understand that people might be a bit nervous, but, you know, just, just scope people out. Just give them a shove in the, in the ribs, give them a, an eyebrow raise, see what they think. That's You'll it. know. You might, you might think that um, you might think of someone as a progressive rugby league fan that might be kind of uh, shaming you about your recycling or uh, something like that. But it's not about that. It's purely about the game. We'll be back next week. Enjoy your weeks. Be progressive. Bye all. See ya. Bye all. In rugby league, we trust. Plane overhead.